Podcasts are pretty common. So what makes the Uncommon Podcast uncommon? Well, it's all in our name. I'm your host, Noah Weiss, and we at Uncommon Sports Group understand the unique pressures and temptations that come with a career in the sport industry. We provide uncommon training that helps you successfully navigate common challenges. Hit the follow button on this podcast. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Check out our website and become uncommon. USG, what's going on? Welcome back to another episode of the Uncommon Podcast. I'm Noah Weiss, as always, your host, and I'm pumped to have you with me for today's episode in which I'll be diving into some practical spiritual disciplines that you all can practice in your life to grow closer to Christ while balancing the many temptations and pressures that come with a career in the sport industry. So I'm excited. Love spiritual disciplines, something we do talk about in the USG Academy quite a bit. So I think it'll be a great uh, precursor or follow-up to um, really what we teach throughout the USG Academy and what we preach as a ministry. And one thing I did want to note as well, I'm sure all of you who have listened before have noticed that we have a new podcast logo. So be sure when you share the podcast, when you're looking for the podcast, uh, to not be confused. We did change the podcast logo, uh, something I'm really excited about. So Uh, Just a little note there that if you're confused of why it looks different, that is why we got a facelift uh, for the Uncommon Podcast. And before I dive into the material, I did want to share a little infomercial here on something we have coming up this summer as a ministry uh, that we're really excited about, uh, titled the Christians Working in Sports Conference, um, short for CWS Conference. Uh, We're pumped to be hosting it right here in Minneapolis, Minnesota on June 23rd and 24th. We're inviting all uh, Christians who work in sports, not just USG members, all Christians working in sports, uh, to come to Minneapolis and, and, and attend this conference and have a chance to not just fellowship with other believers in sports, but also um, to be able to grow in your faith and be challenged um, by speakers. We're having Jonathan Isaac, the uh, Orlando Magic forward in the NBA, coming to speak as our headline speaker along with many other awesome sport industry leaders who are going to be really sharing about working in the industry as well as living out their faith in the, in the industry. So a lot of exciting things to come at the CWS conference this summer, June 23rd through 24th in Minneapolis. You can sign up and learn more now at cws.uncommonsg.org. That's CWS. Uncommonsg.org. And I should note that uh, USG is not covering travel um, or lodging, so you will have to pay your way here. Uh, and we do have a hotel block. Um, it's on the website. You guys can look at the hotel there. So if you guys are looking to book a room, uh, book it at that hotel. It'll be most convenient for you of going to and fro the conference. But um, our staff will be there. It's going to be a lot of fun. We're excited for it. So Uh, Make sure to visit cws.uncommonsg.org to learn more and to register uh, for the conference this summer. With that, I'm going to dive into spiritual disciplines. And I think what often is missed 
when we talk about spiritual disciplines is kind of the why behind it. Why do we practice these things? Why are they important? Why should I implement them into my life? So the two most practical spiritual disciplines we're going to be talking through today are both fasting and Sabbath. There are so many different disciplines. We can pray. We can be in the God's Word, devotionals and quiet times. We can have a small group. There's many spiritual practices that are very viable. But I think two of the most practical that often do not um, get discussed very often are Sabbath and fasting. So that's going to be our focus today is on Sabbath and fasting. But like I said, before I dive into those two disciplines, why they matter, why they're important, I want to talk through why spiritual disciplines really even matter uh, in the Christian life. And I want to start with a verse. Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 4, verse 8. Paul says, Physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better, promising benefits in this life and in the life to come. And one thing I want to note when I read this, we don't have to train for salvation. Salvation is, is not earned. Uh, it's not worked for. Salvation is a free gift by the grace of God through faith. Ephesians chapter 2 talks about this. And so we can't have our minds be thinking that we have to train for salvation. We train for godliness, which is otherwise known as sanctification. When God sanctifies us from our former sinful ways and makes us new, right? This is a process, a part of God's redeeming grace is sanctification, being sanctified and made new. But part of that involves spiritual disciplines. It involves training ourselves through these disciplines to be sanctified, right? And part of that is Sabbath and fasting are two of the ones that can be a part of that spiritual growth for believers. Another big note as well of why we practice spiritual disciplines is Jesus practiced spiritual disciplines. And we think about well, why did Jesus need to be disciplined spiritually if he was perfect? Well, the reality is he had a humanity as a part of his God and divine nature. And so disciplines had to be a part of his life. Uh, things that he did is he fasted in the wilderness to avoid temptation in Matthew chapter 4. Uh, amazing verses of the devil giving Jesus temptations, uh, normal human temptations like um, self-fulfillment of food and, and uh, having a kingdom of, of his own and, and these things. Um, but Jesus fasted, and in that was able to deny temptation. Um, and he really inst- instituted rest into the busyness of his ministry. We see in Mark chapter 1, verse 35, Jesus going off on his own to be alone to pray. He does this many, many times in the Gospels. And so Jesus not only fasted, but he instituted rest and Sabbath into his life, um, which was amazing to see from, from the God of the universe, right, Im- implementing these very basic but powerful spiritual disciplines. And lastly, uh, John 15 talks about abiding in Christ. How do we abide in Christ? And and something I want to note is that abiding in Jesus cannot be done passively. And what I mean by that is we cannot do it just by doing nothing, right? To abide, it's an action verb, right? When you read the scripture, it's an actual verb, abide. It means to do, right? It means to be abiding. It's It's a verb, and so we have to be, do this with intentionality. And part of that intentionality is spiritual disciplines, um, which allow us to abide in Christ, which allow us to seek Him and to block out the many temptations and distractions that come with this world, but more importantly, that come with a career in sports. And that's why we uh, see these as increasingly valuable for you guys that are listening as you're pursuing a career in athletics or considering a, a career in athletics. 
Uh, these disciplines are going to be very, very important to your walk and your journey to be able to abide in Christ. And so those are the reasons why uh, we do these things, right? Why we fast, why we Sabbath, why we stay in God's word. Um, because it's not just something we make up as, as people, right? It's biblical. It's rooted in, in, in God's teaching to us to have spiritual disciplines as a part of our life. So I'm going to start with fasting. Now, fasting is um, a, an age-old, very ancient spiritual, spiritual discipline that's seen throughout Scripture, uh, Old Testament and New, of people fasting as a part of their journey and their walk with God. Um, so how I want to do this is I want to go through some of the key purposes of fasting. And as I go through some of these key purposes, I want you guys to think about why am I fasting? What are the reasons why fasting is a part of my life right now? Or why is fasting going to be a part of my life right now? I think one of the biggest challenges with something like fasting is there's a lot of alternative reasons to why we would fast. A lot of non-believers fast, right? There's intermittent fasting with food. There's fasting from social media. There's fasting from certain um, different food devices like coffee or alcohol, things that are stimulants, right? And so we can have a, a self-fulfilling reason for why we fast, right? Maybe it's, I want to lose weight, so I'm going to fast. That's not a bad thing, but it's not a godly thing, right? It's not something we do to train ourselves to be more godly, right? That's a, a bodily, physical training device. And so as I read through these purposes, I want you to think about why do I want to fast? What are these reasons that I'm giving that make you think, yes, I need to fast for that reason? Because when we fast, we should be fasting to know God more, to seek Him more, and to trust Him more. And I'll give the more in-depth reasons of why as I go through uh, these key purposes. So I'm going to start with number one. The number one key purpose of why we fast is to strengthen prayer. The number one reason, uh, the first reason, excuse me, of why we fast is to strengthen prayer. And this doesn't mean that because you're fasting, God is more likely to answer your prayer in the way that you think. Uh, what it means is that we are creating our, in, in ourselves when we do this a sense of urgency and persistence to our prayers because we are fasting, because we are stepping away from distractions. Uh, and something I want to note as well Fasting doesn't always have to be food-related. It can be, right? And most of the time, especially in biblical times, it was. But it can also be from any distraction that is taking away from your focus on God. It could be social media, which is one that I use frequently. Uh, could be coffee. could be television. Uh, whatever that is for you that's a distraction to your relationship and your focus on God is something you should and could fast from. And so when I say fast, it could be food, but it could be other things. I just want to make sure that's, that's clear. But strengthening prayer, right? It doesn't mean we can manipulate God to do what we want. What it means is that we have a sense of urgency and, and persistence to our prayers because fasting draws our attention to God more fully and completely. And I want to share a scripture uh, from Ezra chapter 8, verse 23, a, a book that I've only uh, hardly read at all, to be honest with you. Ezra is a a very small book in the Old Testament, but Ezra chapter 8, verse 23 says, So we fasted and petitioned our God about this, and he answered our prayer. And I'll give context. What's going on here in the book of Ezra? And, and, and in the book of Ezra chapter 8, Ezra is asking God for a safe journey without the use of man-made weapons. They're about to go on a dangerous journey, a potentially harmful journey to the people of Israel. And 
they're tempted to use man-made weaponry in the army of Israel um, to possibly defeat or f- uh, fend off the enemy that you know the enemy that is threatening them. And so Ezra in this prayer um, is saying, "So we fasted and petitioned our God about this, and He answered our prayer." And so instead of using man-made devices, what Ezra does in the scripture and in the people of Israel at large is they fast and they ask God. Petition means prayer uh, about safety, right? Of safe travels, of, of a safe journey, and God answered their prayer. Again, this isn't that you know Ezra's fasting and Israel's fasting resulted in a safe journey or guaranteed a safe journey, but rather it took their focus away from potentially man-made devices and put their focus on something um, that is far more powerful, which is the, the power of God answering prayers. Another example of this in Scripture of strengthening prayer, it's Second Samuel chapter 12, verse 16, which says, David pleaded with God for the child. He fasted and spent the nights lying in sackcloth on the ground. And so to give some context here, this is actually when David um, commits adultery with Bathsheba and kills Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, and takes Bathsheba as his wife. And as a result of, of judgment, God actually strickens the child that Bathsheba had with David with an illness, right? So the life of the child is at risk here. And David is, is pleading with God for the child. In fact, he fasted, as the verse says, and he spent nights lying in sackcloth on the ground. He was mourning, he was fasting, he was, he was begging God to take away the illness from the child. And again, this isn't that God is going to answer David's prayer because he's fasting, but it's that David was so focused, so aware that he needed a God in this moment, that he was on the ground in sackcloth, right, and, and was fasting, right, to petition to God that the child would be healed. And so I give these examples because I want to show that fasting is biblical, right? Fasting is a very biblical thing that which we can use um, as, as a way to grow closer to God. And in this case, it is strengthening prayer. The second purpose of fasting is to seek God's guidance, to seek God's guidance. So many times in our lives, especially in the sport industry, we're faced with a big decision, right? Whether we move to a certain city, we take a certain job, we potentially leave the sport industry, whatever it is, right? We have big decisions in our lives that we have to make. And fasting is really a tremendous way to gain clarity to where God is calling us or to what the scriptures reveal about which direction we should take. And a great example is Acts chapter 13, verse 2. And this is when the early church is considering who they should send right, to uh, do mission work, right, to be the missionaries of, of various regions throughout the, the, the ancient world. And uh, in Acts 13, verse 2, it says, While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Right, and as we know, Paul was a tremendous missionary. Barnabas was a part of that ministry. And as they were worshiping and fasting, as the people of the early church are fasting and worshiping God, the Holy Spirit made it clear to them who was to be the individuals that were to be set apart for the work to which God called them. And that was Saul and Barnabas. So a really cool example of, we're in these moments so often, right, of what do I do, God? What do I do? And if we're not focused on him, that's going to be a difficult answer to receive from God, 
right? And so fasting is a really awesome and practical way to turn our attention to God, to focus on his presence, to focus on his guidance and his word, right? And seek an answer to what, um, to, to whatever decision that we have to make, right? So uh, the second purpose of fasting is to seek God's guidance. The third purpose of fasting is to express grief. I love this one, right? Because there are so many ways in which we can express our grief and mourning. But one of the most biblical ways is by fasting, right? By taking ourselves away from focusing on ourselves, our anxieties, our worries, our angers, our fears, our frustrations, and simply fasting and focusing on God, right? In 2 Samuel chapter 1, verse 12, it says, They mourned and wept and fasted till the evening for Saul and his son Jonathan, and for the army of the Lord, and for the nation of Israel, because they had fallen by the sword. So in this context, right, Saul was a former king of Israel. Jonathan was his son. They were both killed in battle, right? And the nation of Israel uh, was mourning, and and they wept and they fasted um, for Saul and for Jonathan. And and the beauty of this is it shows a level of intentionality, right? When, When something like death happens, something so beyond human comprehension, something so difficult to to handle, what happens is when we fast, we turn our attention to God and we recognize our need for him in those moments. So one of the best ways to express our grief is to fast, right? To focus our our attention to God, take away distractions, and to really pour our hearts uh, to him who is there to heal us, right? Um, So the third key purpose to fasting is expressing grief. The fourth purpose to fasting is to express repentance and return to God. To express repentance and return to God. I love this one as well because I think we often miss this in Scripture of how often God calls his people to to fast and show um, through mourning that they are repentant of their sin. And I think in an expression of the seriousness of our sin, uh, fasting is a very biblical strategy to express our grief over sinful behavior, and to have a desire to return to the path of obedience uh, with our Savior. I love uh, Joel. Um, it, it's actually Joel's a prophet. It's a, a book in, within the prophets at the end of the Old Testament. And Joel is outlining the judgment to come to Israel. A lot of the prophets talk about this, of um, what Israel is going to face in terms of judgment for their sin. And, and so Joel is outlining this to Israel in his in his book and in his prophecies. And in Joel chapter 2, verse 12, it says, Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. God is calling the people of Israel in the the midst of their sin to return to him with all their heart, with fasting, with weeping, with mourning. And we just talked about how fasting can be an expression of grief. Well, in the same way, fasting can be an expression of our sorrow and grief for our own sin. And I'm sure many of you listening have had those moments when you fall into a temptation and grief just overwhelms you. Grief overwhelms you. And it's not that God wants you to feel punished. It's not that God wants you to feel rejected by him. What he wants is for you to come to him fully for healing and restoration from your grief. Because when we know the grace God has given us, when we know his goodness, right, we're going to be able to shake off that grief and come back to him and desire obedience once again. And this is the beauty of what fasting does. It takes our attention off of ourselves and our actions 
and turns our attention back to God, right? It, it takes us away from the anxiety and the grief of, oh my gosh, what have I done? And says, oh God, thank you that you've given me the grace that you have given me. And that's the beauty of what Joel is writing is that even in their sin, right, even now, God declares, return to me, right? Fast, weep and mourn, come back to me. You know that you need me and I can give you the rest you desire. So the fourth purpose for fasting is to express repentance and return to God. The fifth purpose is to humble oneself before God. And I love this one because humility is something God desires so deeply out of his people. You find it all throughout scripture. God desires humility, right? Jesus' main issue with the Pharisees was their lack of humility. They thought they had it all figured out. They thought they knew how to gain righteousness. They thought they were righteous when they were not, right? So this is a reality that God seeks humility, right? And fasting itself, I want to make this clear, is not humility, right? You can't just say, oh, I fasted, I'm humble. That's not the way it works. In fact, more than anything else, it's just an expression of humility because when we fast, we recognize our need for God over our need for social media, our need for food, our need for whatever, Right? And when we recognize that dependence, fasting will be more so an automatic response, not something we feel like we have to do. Right? And that's, that's the goal. And a great example of this comes from 1 Kings chapter 21. Uh, it's actually a very interesting story. Ahab, the king of Israel at the time, he was a very sinful king of Israel. So there's an, an Israelite named Naboth, N-A-B-O-T-H, Naboth. And he had a vineyard, and Ahab went to Naboth, and asked Naboth for his vineyard. Naboth denied Ahab and said, no, I, I cannot give you my vineyard. All right? And so Ahab is really upset about this. He's, um, it, it says that he was unable to eat because he was so upset about not getting the vineyard. And so Ahab's wife actually comes up with a plan to get Naboth killed. And it, the plan succeeds, Naboth is killed, and then she and Ahab take over the vineyard. And so God is very angry with Ahab, as you might imagine, for this scheme and this plan to basically not only take Naboth's life, but steal his land, right? And so God basically decrees a judgment against Ahab that's very brutal, right? He talks about them receiving the same uh, death that, that Naboth would face and just a very brutal uh, judgment that's going to come on Ahab and his wife. But what Ahab does in verses 27 through 29 of chapter 21 in 1 Kings is he says, When Ahab heard these words, heard the words of the judgment, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, and fasted. He lay in sackcloth and went around meekly. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite. Elijah is the prophet that was sharing this um, judgment with Ahab. Have you noticed how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Because he has humbled himself, I will not bring disaster in his day, but I will bring it on his house in the days of his son. So what God did is God actually delayed the judgment uh, that was supposed to be given to Ahab to future generations of Ahab's children. That's still not a great you know, result for Ahab, but because of Ahab's humility, right, of saying, oh my gosh, look what I've done. He, he fasted, he walked around meekly, he showed that there was an automatic response of humility before God. God delayed the punishment to Ahab. And so when we think about the, the purpose of fasting, right, this is a great way for us to recognize our dependence on God, 
Uh, I think this one connects well with the last one of expressing repentance. That's probably why Ahab was fasting, is he needed to express his grief and, and repentance of what he did. And so in that, God honored the humility of Ahab and, and delayed judgment. So the fifth purpose of fasting is to humble oneself before God. The sixth reason, uh, purpose for fasting is to minister to the needs of others. You know, it's really awesome because fasting is something that saves you time, right? You're not eating, you're not on social media, you're not watching TV, and so you have time on your hands, right? And, and what fasting can do is it can be a vehicle for us to step away from those things that often occupy our time and minister to the needs of others, whether it be sharing the gospel, um, helping out someone who's, who's in need, providing for someone who's in need, whatever that might be. And a great scripture that goes right along with this is Isaiah 58, uh, verses 3 through 7. And it says, Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves, and you have not noticed? Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife, and then striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed for lying, for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke. To set the oppressed free and break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. So what is God saying through Isaiah? And God is saying that fasting is not just a day for you to be religious once in a while, right? You can't just use fasting as some way to think you're hyper-spiritual, but then do things that are evil against God. This is what God was accusing them of. It's saying that on your day of fasting, you're exploiting your workers. You're, you're fighting and you're striking, striking each other with wicked fists, right? And this is not the kind of fasting God is, is talking about, but true worship through things like fasting, it, it, it really invokes a response of, I want to serve God faithfully. And that's what God is calling for is the kind of fasting that, that God sees as acceptable. It's fasting that results in further worship with our lives. And the examples God gives are uh, to loose the chains of injustice, to untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free, to share your food with the hungry, provide for the poor, clothe the naked, and to be there for your family. Right? These are the things that fasting is supposed to invoke, a response of worship through our lives. And, and, and really, it does provide us with time. You know, For me, a big part of my journey with fasting is social media. Right? For example, right now on my phone, this is not a, a brag at all. It's just, a, I think, a good example. Right now on my phone, I, I do not have the App Store. Uh, you, you can use your screen time settings to actually take the App Store off your phone. I have no social media, um, and it's been a huge time saver for me. It's been actually an, an amazing life change that's encouraged me so much to seek God um, more than anything else in my life. And, and it's really a place of humility for me, um, which has been a great joy. So I want to encourage you that uh, a great purpose of fasting is to minister to the needs of others. And I think it's important to reflect on what Isaiah says in Isaiah 58 of what you know, truly is, is acceptable to the Lord uh, through our fasting, which is in really evoking a response of worship with our lives. The seventh purpose of fasting is to overcome temptation. 
This is a big one. And, and this one's pretty obvious, I think, with Jesus in the wilderness, Matthew 4, 1 through 11. But fasting can give us a level of focus to help us overcome a particular temptation that we are struggling with. Or even more, it can take away something that is directly tempting us, right? Maybe social media is tempting you to lust, right? A great example. I think this is so common. Social media can be a place where we're easily tempted to lust. Then getting rid of social media is a great way to overcome that temptation, right? Because you're not giving giving yourself access to that. As well as when we're focusing on God and, and His truth by fasting and giving our attention to God, that allows us to overcome temptation by focusing on Him above earthly things. And so, uh, just as Jesus fasted in the in the wilderness in Matthew four one through eleven, we can use fasting as a vehicle to overcome temptation. And last but not least, the final purpose um, for fasting in the Bible is to express love and worship to God. You know, fasting can be an amazing part of our worship routine and in, in expressing a soul dependence and desire uh, for God. And, and I love Luke chapter two verse thirty seven. Um, in, in this part of the scriptures, um, Joseph and Mary have brought Jesus to the temple. And the prophet Anna was in the temple. And, and Anna had a, a tough life. She was a widow. Uh, she spent most of her days you know, just in the temple worshiping God. And in verse 37, it says, And then was a widow until she was 84, talking about Anna. She never left the temple, but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. Just how cool is that, right? That even though Anna faced difficulty of losing her husband, being a widow, and, and just the challenges of, of her life, that she never left the temple. And she worshipped through fasting. Part of her life was fasting every day. And I, I don't think it was just a religious practice for her. I think it was a way for her to actually focus in on who God is as she's in the temple um, and, and to worship Him through that focus and that attention. So... I think that's an amazing one, right, of, of expressing love and worship to God through our fasting. And so really, th- these are some of the best ways that we can utilize fasting for God's glory. Uh, kind of as I said in the beginning, fasting can often be something that we utilize for self-gain. Um, but I want to encourage you that there's so much more to fasting than just you know losing a couple pounds or saving our, our, ourselves some screen time. It's a way to know God more put our attention to God, be humble before God, um, overcoming temptation and all these different things that we just talked about. So um, fasting is a tremendous, tremendous spiritual spiritual discipline that we can use for God's glory. Second spiritual discipline I want to talk about today is Sabbath, such a popular one that, that we all know really well. I feel like Sabbath is something that we all know, especially with being such a pivotal part of uh, the creation story in Genesis and then in the early uh, Israel days of, of being a command to Moses of, of the Sabbath. Um, but I want to give context to what is the Sabbath, right? Where did it come from? What does it mean uh, for, for believers, right? How can we you know, utilize this as believers? And I'll start with what the word actually means. The word Sabbath comes from the Hebrew term Shabbat, uh, which actually just means a day of rest. So it's a really, I mean, simple term of uh, it's a day of rest, and that's what Sabbath means in the English. Um, it translated to the Hebrew as a day of rest. And God actually commanded the Sabbath uh, in the Ten Commandments. I think we often forget this. It's on the same level of, as, as adultery and murder of, 
it's a must do. It's not a might do or if you have time. It was a must do. And, uh, and actually, and I'll read the verses. Exodus or the verses, uh, Exodus chapter twenty, verses nine through eleven. It says, "Remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest, dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes you, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, your livestock, and any foreigners among you." For in six days the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. But on the seventh day he rested. That is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy. And so it was a command. It was a command that God gave to the people of Israel. It was taken very seriously um, by the people of Israel. And so the question that is often brought up when talking about the Sabbath is, is it still a command for Christians? Is the Sabbath still something that we are commanded to do as believers? And it's very clear that it's not a command for us anymore, right? So I want to read a few verses that back that up. Romans 14, verses 1 through 5, it says, Accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat anything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall, and they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. So the issue Paul is addressing is the difference between a Gentile Christian and a Jewish Christian. Jewish Christians often in the early church days still practiced Jewish law. Right? They still felt that, yeah, I don't really want to eat food that could be sacrificed to idols. I don't really want to miss the Sabbath because they were accustomed to doing these things. And what's funny is Paul actually calls them weak Christians. I think that's so funny, right? We, we often would think that they're strong Christians because they're living out these these rules and, and different things, but calls them weak because they're trusting in these rituals and, and different religious practices as opposed to trusting in the finished work of Jesus, right? So they're the weak Christians in Paul's mind. But in verse 5, it said that one person considers one day more sacred than another, talking about the Jews and the Sabbath. And then another considers every day alike, talking about the Gentiles who don't really know about the Sabbath. And so Paul is saying that it doesn't really matter in the New Covenant. Days are days, right? Like, if you want to practice a Sabbath, that's fine. It's not a bad thing, right? It, it, he said in an earlier verse that God accepts them all, right? It doesn't matter. Like, whatever you want to do in terms of how you live out your faith. But it's not required. And then again, Colossians chapter 2. Let me pull it up here. Colossians chapter 2, uh, verses 16 through 17. Paul says something very similar. And he says, Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. What he's saying is don't let someone judge you because you don't eat a certain thing, or because you decide to eat a certain thing, or because you don't practice the Sabbath. All of these things in the Old Testament that were a part of Israel were a shadow of the things that were to come that are all found in Christ. 
So Christ is a fulfillment of all these things. doesn't mean that they're not important. Paul's not saying never practice the Sabbath. Instead, what he's saying is it's not required anymore. You don't have to do this. And so I don't want to make either fasting or Sabbath seem like a must-do, right? So just keep that in the back of your mind as we're reading through this. Of These things aren't must-dos, right? But they are things that do help us grow closer to God and build a deeper relationship with Him, especially being in the busyness of the sport industry with the many temptations and pressures. These spiritual disciplines are, are a vital part of um, coming to a deeper understanding of who God is. And so we have spiritual freedom. I do want to make that clear. We have spiritual freedom in Christ um, to make decisions on how we relate to Him, how we build our relationship with Him. Um, but Sabbath is a beneficial way. Fasting is a beneficial way. Um, but neither of them are required. But I want to dive in. Why is the Sabbath important? And how do we keep the Sabbath, right? Is, is, if the Sabbath has value, why does it have value? And there's three reasons I want to give to why the Sabbath is valuable, why you guys should consider practicing a Sabbath uh, in your life. The first is that the Sabbath helps us to trust God. Uh, the biggest thing about the human life that, that we often live in, especially in the United States, is we kind of rely on our own strength, right? We're, we're kind of weighed by our muscle. And what I mean by that is, you know, the longer hours you work, the cooler and more intelligent and, and more, um, I don't know, uh, strong that you are, right? The, the more hours you work, um, you're often seen as, as a hard worker, as someone who's successful. But the reality is that th this is not the way that God works, right? And God designed us uh, to be individuals that find rest, right? And so instead of relying on our own strength to get through the week, the Sabbath is a, is a time where we set aside um, time to rest from the hustle and bustle of life and to trust in God's renewing presence. You know, I think it's, it's easy to neglect time with God during the week, especially when you're so busy and whether you're a college student, you know, studying to be uh, in the sport industry or whether you already are in the sport industry, there is a temptation to just go, go, go. And we kind of neglect time with God. And so what a Sabbath does is it sets aside intentional time with the Lord to rest and rely on His presence. And so the Sabbath helps us to trust God as opposed to trusting our own devices uh, to get through the week. The second reason, I kind of mentioned this already, is that rest is critical to the human condition. Uh, Jesus says in Mark chapter 2, verses 27 through 28, The Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people and not people, to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord, even over the Sabbath. Jesus is saying, guys, he's talking to the Pharisees here, guys, look, the Sabbath was not made so you guys could just fulfill a requirement. It was made because you need it. It's made because you need rest, right? And so what he's saying, too, is the Son of Man is Lord over the Sabbath, right? The Son of Man is, is Lord over the Sabbath. He created it. He's Lord over it, right? And so we can trust that God made the Sabbath for the purpose of what humans actually need. And we need rest. And so, yes, it's not required. It's not something that God requires of us, like it's a part of the Ten Commandments anymore. Um, but the reality is, is that uh, it is something that does benefit us, especially, as I already mentioned, being in, in the busyness of an athletics world, a Sabbath is vital to finding needed rest and time with God. And lastly, the Sabbath keeps us from idolatry. The Sabbath keeps us from idolatry. Work, especially in sports, can easily become an idol, 
right? We can receive our fulfillment, identity, and purpose through success in our jobs, right? So often we can feel that our worth is bottled up in how well we're doing in our jobs or how prominent our position or role is within our organization or team. And that can make taking a day off seem impossible because when you take that day off, you feel behind and that source of fulfillment is cut off, right? It's kind of like fasting, right? If you take away something that's fulfilling you, you're going to be really struggling, but you got to focus on God. And Sabbath is very similar where you're almost fasting from busyness and work and just taking time with God, right? And so a Sabbath forces us to lay down the idol of work and busyness and, and getting things done and to turn our attention uh, to God. And, and that's really the goal of this, just like fasting. It's not about, you know, doing groceries or, or doing whatever. It's, it's about focusing on the Lord, right? And taking rest away from the busyness of life to be with him, right? And so I, I talked about the why, right? The why we keep the Sabbath, it's because we need to trust God. It's because the, the human race needs rest and because it keeps us from idolatry. But what about the how? How do we keep the Sabbath? What does that look like practically? And so I'll give some tips of how to keep the Sabbath and how to do it in a way that, that keeps it focused on God. The first one is it doesn't need to be on a Sunday. I think a huge misconception about the Sabbath is it has to be on Sunday. Not the case, right? Just as Paul said in Romans 14, 5, right? Some people consider one day more holy than another. Some others don't, right? He's really saying there's really no such thing as one day that's more holy than another. So find a day that works for you to find that intentional rest with God. Maybe it's a Monday. Maybe it's a Friday. Maybe it's a Wednesday night. I don't know you or your schedule, but you do. And so choose a time in which you can find true rest and intentional time with God. When you're focused on Him, when you can Sabbath from the busyness of your life, and when you can turn your attention and focus on Him. The second tip I would give is stop doing things you would normally do, right? So often we can just use our Sabbath day as a, as a grocery shopping day, as a laundry day, as a checking email day, as a whatever day. But what we do when we do that is we actually take away from the goal of the Sabbath. It's not a, a to-do list day. It's a day to rest with the Lord, just like fasting. We don't fast to lose weight. We fast to know God more. And that's the same thing with Sabbath. Another thing is to, another tip is to add things to your day that will help you rest in the Lord. So what is that thing that helps you connect with God? Is it reading? Uh, is it reading scripture? Is it prayer? Is it worship music? What is that thing for you that brings you in a place of, of living and sitting in God's presence? And so find that activity and try to implement it throughout the day. And lastly, the last tip I would give is be as consistent as you can be. I know I mentioned to pick a day of the week that works for you. I would also add pick a day that you can be consistent in. A day in which you are consistently living out your Sabbath in your life. Um, because it, it is important. I think, you know, I, I did mention it's not critical, uh, or sorry, it's not um, required, but it is critical. Right? These spiritual, spiritual di disciplines are an important aspect to the Christian life, a very vital aspect uh, to the Christian life. And, and I want to encourage you guys to live them out uh, as you're battling the many temptations and pressures of a career in sports. As I said earlier, faith is practical, and faith requires action on our end. James writes in, in James chapter 2, verse 17, In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. What he's saying is our faith 
is proven to be faith when we're living it out in our lives. And the way that you can do that is by, by living out these spiritual disciplines of fasting and Sabbath. And there are amazing, amazing ways to connect with God. And so I would encourage you to take what you learned in this podcast and apply it to your career in the sport industry so that amidst the temptations and challenges that you're facing in your career and in your life, you can know that your focus and your attention is on God above all things. And it will make everything else so, so much easier. I promise. Thanks for joining me today, guys, and we'll see you next time. If you want to get involved with Uncommon Sports Group and the mission that we are on to help you navigate the sport industry as followers of Christ, apply for our academy on our website at uncommonsg.org. That's uncommonsg.org. Be sure to catch new episodes of the Uncommon Podcast every Thursday at midnight Eastern time, as well as the full video episodes on our YouTube channel. Until next time, we pray that you will strive to be uncommon by glorifying the name of God in whatever you may do. See you next week.